Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. Hi, my name's Jonathan Harden. Welcome back to In Anything at the Minute, the Honest Actors Podcast. This is episode number 10. We are in double figures, which in itself is cause for some kind of minor celebration. But if you haven't heard episode 9, and if you haven't, I don't know why, but if you haven't heard episode 9 with Emily Taff, uh, you won't know that the Honest Actors blog is up in two categories in this year's UK Blog Awards. So we're up in arts and culture and in vlogger and podcast. It's a public vote to get down to the shortlist. So please go to the website www.nanything.com and click on the blue vote now button that appears at the top of every page. If you voted already, uh, you should feel virtuous. Thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. But you can still do more. You can, in fact, vote once every single day. So if you voted once, twice, three, four, ten times already, you can still vote. There's one week left of the vote. It finishes today week uh, on the 25th of January. So the more votes we can get before then, the better. I'd like to make the shortlist in at least one of those categories. I don't expect to win one, uh, but it would be really nice, given that it's the first year just to make one of those shortlists. So please do all you can to help us get there. Go to the website inanything.com and click on the blue vote now button at the top of every page. That's it from me in terms of an introduction. Stick around at the end of this episode and there'll be a little teaser uh, for an interview with me on another podcast for actors called Acting Inspired with Lewis Goody. But for now, this is episode 10 of the Honest Actors podcast with Michael Hadley. Enjoy. Um, first thing to say though is thanks very much on the record for giving your time up on what is supposedly the hottest day is it? of the year so far. Bloody hell, so, it felt like it coming so through it, the Queen's speech area. Um, the first question is how did you get into acting? How did you come to be an actor? Um, I, depends how far back you want to go. I mean, the first thing I can remember was the primary school playing um, in what was sort of the school pantomime, I suppose, and playing a landlord, playing a nasty character who came stamping on the stage, demanding rent. And uh, the girl who was playing the uh, cottage keeper um, forgot her line. So I came on prematurely much to everyone's surprise, stamped on stage and demanded in a very loud voice, you owe me one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks rent. And this brought the house down. So there was the instant sort of reaction to what I'd done. So I was kind of, must have been kind of bitten then. Then there's a gap until my final year at um, secondary school, at grammar school, Litchfield Grammar School, and I played Henry V. And again, it was that thing of walking down at the end you know, getting all this rapturous applause and thinking, well, this is quite nice, I can do this. My real ambition in life was to be a professional cricketer, but I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough to be what I really wanted to be. 
So I came into acting by default, really. It was, a, it was your second string. As my second string. And the, just to, to kind of unpack a little bit, there's a big gap there between uh, Give Me the Rent and Henry V. Yeah. Does it just cease to exist to you then during that time? Or is it always, are you the kind of kid that dresses up, that does voices, impersonates teachers? No, or I, does it just I did impersonate. I did a bit of impersonating, you know, Christmas parties and what have you, I suppose, showing off. But I did actually do one other play, which was Murder in the Cathedral, and I played uh, the third knight and third tempter. And, uh, and then the following year, and that was the penultimate year of, uh, of being at secondary school. So yeah, there was, there was a gap, but then there was lots of other stuff happening, you know. I was yeah. at boarding school, so there was a lot of getting so, used to... Being away. Being away, exactly. So you come down then after Henry V, you get this rapturous applause, or at least what you remember now is rapturous yes. applause. Yeah. And uh, what happens then? How do you turn that surprise and glee at um, the response into something practical? What, what do you do with and that? And something slightly more worthwhile than just getting your ego massaged, yeah. My English master, really, and my dad, I suppose. My dad saw an advert for the National Youth Theatre in the Daily Mail. How those two coexisted, I will never, ever understand, but they did. And um, uh, a combination of my father and my English master got me an audition with the National Youth Theatre. And also, my English master's daughter was then doing um, a stage management course, I think at RADA, maybe RADA or Lambda. And she gave me a list of drama schools to apply to. And uh, I got into the youth theatre. And on the final audition weekend, most of the drama schools had stopped auditioning by the time it had occurred to me. So on the final audition weekend at the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School, somebody withdrew. And I replaced them and got in. So that was it. I mean, fate had decided what my fate was. So. Uh, I'm going to skip over training, um, at least as an experience in itself. It may come back to how you feel about it retrospectively. Um, but when you come out of training at Bristol Old Vic, do you feel like you're an actor, you're ready, good to go? I came out of the Old Vic school and immediately joined the Old Vic company. They took, um, uh, I forget how many, they took, I think they took three men and two women, something like that, from the Old Vic School. Um, so it was heavily biased in favour of uh, people joining from the, the Old Vic School as opposed to any other drama school. So, I, you know, I was helped a bit by that. Um, how long were you in that company for? Uh, a year. And then, I mean, you know, we're going back a bit. So there was a, a repertory system then. So I was with the Old Vic Company for a year and then went off and joined the Belgrade Theatre Coventry. And I was there for a year. And then I went to Birmingham. Um, the studio company was just starting in the new theatre there. And I was there for two years. So there was kind of continuous employment. So, you know, I was, yeah, definitely, I was an actor. Four years of rep as well, I suppose, is yeah. continued training. Um, yes, so, uh, very so, much so. Yeah. So when you come out of rep um, into the big bad world of whatever follows... Uh, well, of course, it doesn't... You don't come out, you know, you come out, you, you might come out, you might do a television, 
you know, or film or what have you in between those stints in mm -hmm. rap. I mean, they didn't follow on absolutely, you know, one after another. There were various sort of expeditions into other areas. But your expectations at that point must have been that that would pretty much continue, that you'd, you'd establish yourself as, at least internally to yourself, as a working actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any recollection of the first time you might have thought that a career might be more difficult than that? First time being out of work, you mean? Yeah. With the, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I suppose it had a certain novelty. I mean, you know, I did... Um, I was lucky in that my brother, elder brother, um, was sharing a flat, first of all in Clapham and then in Wimbledon with various friends of his. And there was the, always seemed to be a little box room that nobody wanted, so I was an extra person helping to pay the rent. And I didn't, they didn't demand much rent off me. So I had various jobs working in pubs and um, car parks and, you know, whatever, to earn enough just to pay for that and to pay for my beer. So I think the first time I was out of work for any length of time, I associate with putting on about two stone in weight, all down to the Guinness that I was consuming. <laughs> so you're living uh, in and around South London with your younger, older brother? Older brother. Older yeah. brother. What does he do? What's his kind of career path in comparison? He's a civil engineer. He was a civil engineer. And his flatmates similarly... Were civil engineers, yeah. And with, what, was, what, did they make, what did they make of this box room inhabitant? Oh, I think they were fascinated to have somebody who, you know, and I brought people back who were pretty sort of wild. And I remember at one point we had, um, we had a guy who was working at the Foreign Office. He was Irish, actually but was very, very absolutely straight down the line, terrified of anything sort of happening that would damage his career. And of course, you know, in, inevitably, he came back one night and there was a group of actors smoking pot, uh, completely off our heads, playing very, very loud music. And he was absolutely terrified that this was going to get reported and he would lose his job in the Foreign Office. And, you know, so it, uh, yeah, it had its ups and downs. Uh, but, you know, they, they, do you think there was a certain sex appeal to having... Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Uh, so you've mentioned already, you've hinted at kind of a few things you've done. What, um, I'm not asking you to rhyme them all off, but what are the kinds of things over the years that you find yourself doing when not able to find acting work? Well, that's it really. I can remember working in pubs and um, car parks, NCP car parks in Olympia. Um, which consisted of taking the... I could never understand how people were so compliant. You took the keys off them so that you could repark their cars in an orderly fashion. And with very few exceptions, people handed over the keys to Aston Martins, Lamborghinis. It was the impressive <laughs> NCP uniform that I did it. It was just extraordinary to let this bunch of harem scarums drive these cars around multi-storey car parts. Anyway, I digress. Um, what else did I do? Um... I did some uh, sort of dra youth drama with young, you know, young theatre groups. I did some of that and got a bit of money for that. Um, but by and large, that's about it and still we, until we started having a family. And then uh, my wife, who's uh, uh, a graduate, an English graduate, took a nursing course. And 
I'm sure this is looking back with rose-tinted spectacles, but I always remember it as being a period when as the got four children. So as the children came along, I seemed to be out of work at just the right time, i.e. Sue would be at home and I would be off touring with Cambridge Theatre Company or, some, or Oxford Players or whatever the company was, and uh, she would be at home for about the first two years. And then, miraculously, the work would dry up, Sue would go to work as a nurse, and I would be the, what do they call the house person? House person, stay-at-home dad. I was the stay-at-home dad. And I'm sure it wasn't as neat and uh, as I'm making it sound. You know, there were variants on that. But, yeah, that's kind of how it worked. So, so that, there wasn't the need to get out. I mean, you did get unemployment benefits. And so that was basically when it stopped was whenever um, you started to have a family. Yeah. Do you think those experiences outside of acting, do you think they're important? Do you think they are, are they just a kind of un, a necessary evil that if you could at all avoid, um, if you could go back and avoid, you would? I don't think you can avoid things. No, I'm, they're neither good nor bad. I mean, it's what happens. Um, I mean, I'm so, I certainly wouldn't be somebody to lay down the law and say, look, I, I suppose I would say to do something is better than doing nothing. I mean, doing nothing is soul-destroying. So, and, you know, the family thing is obvious, is, you know, ultimately the most rewarding thing you can, well, in my book, is the most rewarding thing you can do. You know, it's just so fascinating. It's a bloody hard work and you don't sleep much and all of that. But it's, um, it's there, it has to be done. And, yeah, it's just very, very enjoyable. And in terms of being a father then and being an actor, obviously you can't really speak for not being an actor, but do you think um, being an actor created any issues as the kids got older? Did they understand the kind of in and out of work thing in comparison to what their friends' parents did? Um, were you ever aware of them struggling to comprehend what it was that Dad did? I think it's it's very hard to be objective about it now to look you know to look back and and see things in sort of neat formations. Um, it's much more subjective. I think no, I think they were fascinated by it. I mean, because you know, I read to them copiously books and so on and entertained them. So they regarded me as this sort of entertainment figure, which is what I was. They've all had a go at youth theatre. None of them are actors. And they've, but they've all had to go. And is that a source of pleasure or displeasure, or are you kind of ambivalent to it? It was just that's how it worked. That's how it worked. They had to go at it. It didn't suit them. My daughter was the only one who could. Uh, three boys and a girl, and she is. She's just got a facility, certainly for Shakespeare and for acting in general. So she could have been. But when it came to the crunch, you know, it was that thing. I certainly wouldn't have stopped her, but it was definitely a question of it's got to be the thing you most want to do in your life. And she, on her own admission, is not somebody who takes rejection easily. And if you can't take rejection, then don't be an actor. So do you think taking rejection is the hardest thing? Yeah. Has it gotten any easier with time? Yeah, I suppose, yes, it has. It has. I mean, it depends. It depends very much on the job. If it's something you desperately want, you know, and you feel you've made a really good fist of it, 
and then you get rejected. That's, you know, you get rejected all the time for sort of, you know, bits and pieces of work that you do, uh, or maybe very lucrative adverts you get rejected, but you can't take those seriously because as you're told time and time again, as soon as you walk in, you know, they've decided. So you can't take that seriously. But if you're rejected for something you really want and you feel you've made a really good fist of, then that's, that's still hard, yeah. What's the longest, uh, what's your longest run of rejections is a way of asking to memory. What's the longest uh, you can recall being out of work? Um, I kind of have to rely on my wife to tell me this because I do, you don't sort of add it up or count it out. You suddenly look, but you know, she, she will say, you, do you realise, or she would have said, do you realise um, you've been out now for six months? Have I? And it, you know, there's so much other stuff to do that you kind of haven't noticed. You know, it's not, it's not biting away. It's never bitten away at me to that degree. I'm sure I'm being a bit over-optimistic about my past. But, and there have been times when it does get incredibly depressing. But I can't remember it sort of completely taking over my life. I've always sort of felt... You know, it's your duty. You're lucky enough to live somewhere where you can um, do... You're lucky enough to be doing something that you really want to do. And part of the sacrifice you have to make is the fact that you're not always going to be employed. So just get on with the rest of your life, you know. And did you find uh, certainly having the diversion of family, the important diversion of family, did you think that made it a little bit easier not to get too bogged down in yourself yeah, in your career? Yeah, definitely. Because you have to give... You have to give so much. You can't always, you know, being an actor, it's all me, 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 me. Not all me, 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 but you know what I mean, you know. And uh, the fact that there are sort of one, two, three, four other people around, all demanding attention, all being equally important in their own eyes, is a great leveller. And once they leave, this is kind of probably the first time I've asked this question, actually, because um, I haven't spoken to many people who've had kids, let alone who've had kids who've, who've got up and, and uh, it sounds like they're all out of the house. Left the nest. Yeah. Left the nest. Yep. Um, do you find, did you find even for a time after that, that the me, 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 me starts to possibly creep back into it? Or had you trained yourself out of it by that point? Um, I don't know, because you still, even if they're not in the nest, you're still thinking of them all the time and there is still stuff going on, there's interaction, one of them lives nearby. There's... Uh, I guess it's a hard one to answer that, Jonathan. I, I guess I'm in that sort of state now. I mean, you know, I haven't worked. I haven't worked for about three months, um, but there still seems plenty. You no, know, I, I guess once you've sort of, as you said, trained yourself. Once you've got used to that thing of turning to other. Um, Turning to other things, I mean, you know, I've, I've edited a book called Lifting the Latch, which is about a, a shepherd and carter called Mont Abbott. And I did a one-man show in Charlbury, in Oxfordshire, which is where I live in the Cotswolds. So there are other things that I would turn to. I'm doing a thing with the local beer festival now based on Magna Carta. So the creative part of me still, you know, demands to be exercised interrupting Michael and interrupting myself not for the first time 
to remind listeners that uh, there will be a Honest Actors uh, little seminar and Q&A at this year's Surviving Actors, which takes place in February. You can find out more about that and book your place on www.survivingactors.com. Delighted to be part of it this year. Uh, Hopefully you can join us. Like I say, you need to book in advance and you can do that on their website, survivingactors.com. That's all I gotta say. Except maybe <clears throat> vote. You know what I'm talking about. Back to Michael. In a context of people who aren't all actors and jazz musicians, do you find yourself looking at others' lifestyles? Um, and I'm hinting at kind of that notion at some stage people retire. Uh, do you look at retirees and think, oh, I'd love to do that? Or do you think, thank God, thank no. God. Thank God I've still got something else that I want to do. I want to car- yeah, yeah, carry on until. I no longer have the facility to learn the lines or until something else happens. And do you think that's, do you, I mean, do you think you'll ever want to, to buy out? I can't imagine. I can't, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Once you've done something for so long, I just can't. Yeah, what would take its place? And uh, the, the buzz you get from working with, I mean, one of the greatest joys of, we haven't talked much about the philosophy of being an actor or anything like that, and I don't want to get too grand about it, but I mean, the fact that you're with a company of people, and this is mainly stage work, where you get together with a company and you rehearse for three, four, five, six, whatever weeks, you're with that little family. And the great thing about it is I'm 67 now, but I'll be working with people who are 18, 19, you know, and you're all equal. There's no hierarchy, or you, ca- you can't let hierarchies creep in because you've got to be honest, you've got to be open, and all those things. And it's just brilliant. It's just a brilliant lifestyle. And where else do you get that, you know? Other than with your own family, which sort of grows up and around you. Um, but so I'd miss that. Have I'd you always that. enjoyed that? I mean, you must have a huge, a huge kind of list of people you've worked with over the years. Do you find they, they come in and out of your lives? your life or have you made a special effort to keep in touch with with a lot of them? I think you do initially and then just the sheer numbers and with especially when you've got children and they've got their friends and you know you you move into a different sort of milieu um, and uh, I guess I'm not very good at sort of staying in touch. I'd lo- I've loved so many people that I've worked with you know there's a list as long as this table of, of people who yeah, I'd love to have seen again, and and sometimes you do hit it off with someone, and you go on seeing them for a bit. But um, I don't be, know. It would be impossible, wouldn't it? It would be. It would be impossible. So it, it, all that said, um, the fact that you love it and you can't imagine uh, giving it up. I'm implying that you love it. You know, you've said about yeah. as much. Yeah. Um, has there been any points, or have there been any points, rather? Um, when your wife, you know, taps you in the shoulder and says, you know, you've been out for six months, have you at any point considered giving up? Yes. M- on numerous occasions? Or no. Is- no, seriously, only on one occasion. And what brought that about? <sighs> Do you know, I can't remember. It must have been a period out of work and just, you know, just going up for things and not getting them. A pattern like... You know, a, a, the pattern of rejection was becoming too regular and eating away at confidence. And do you remember what age you were when this occurred? I guess it would be in my 40s. 
why it should happen then, I've no, no real understanding. And would it be fair to say you're, you're glad then that you didn't give in to those? Oh, bloody hell, yes. Absolutely. And how close do you think you came to, to walking away? To well, again, it's one of those things that, you know, I'm sure at the time I felt that I was absolutely going to do it. Looking back now, I, it doesn't feel like, you know, really the, 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 there was a serious possibility that I was going to do it. So what would you have done? Do you know what you would have done? Have you ever, have you always had a kind of, if I wasn't an actor, I would be whatever. Have you always had something in mind that you might like to explore? No, but I'll tell you one thing. When I was sort of, uh, before the sort of the, the drama school thing came up and we had a careers, career advisor at school, a Mr. Adams, who was a, a lovely bloke, but spectacularly useless at sort of career things. He thrust under my nose because he knew how fond I was of any sort of games, you know, tennis, swimming, rugby, football, cricket, you name it. And I just wanted to do that, you know, all the time with cricket being the pinnacle. And uh, he thrust under my nose an advert for <laughs> the police force in Rhodesia. As it the Zimbabwe then was. He knew you so well. Oh, bloody hell. How could I have seriously thought about that for even 10 seconds? But I, I, I did, and I responded to this and got a letter back. And only then did I realise, what am I doing? Yeah. Thank, and thank God you did. Oh, thank... What a different life that would have oh been. Oh, my God. Um, I don't think I'd be here. I don't think I'd be walking. So, uh, looking back to the guy that comes out of Bristol Ovic um, and that cohort and people you work with subsequently, uh, you must know a hell of a lot of people who have given in to that urge to uh, not be rejected anymore, to have a regular income and to have a career or a career progression. Um, have you been aware of that happening? Is it something, you know, um, you mentioned before we started taping about uh, being at that age where friends and acquaintances are passing away, and it, I mean, it, yeah. but are are you aware at any period, your thirties, forties, fifties, when you started to think, God, all the people I trained with or worked with are starting to drop off in terms of professionally? I think I was only aware of the people. Well, obviously, I was only aware of the people I had contact with, and there were sort of three of the girls at drama school. Uh, each year at Bristol had 20 men and 10 women, so three of the girls I was aware. I Most dropped out, I mean, probably five or six dropped out straight away, you know, within a year or two. Which is um, always a surprise. I'm always amazed at the numbers that drop out in yeah, year one. very quickly. And then, sort of later on, again, I suppose I'm thinking late 30s, early 40s, I was aware of two... Is it two or three who, who became psychotherapists? That seems to be a parallel course with acting. I remember principal at uh, Bristol, Nat Brenner, saying, you, you don't go into... No, no, it was Rudy Shelley, one of the senior tutors there. Rudy Shelley, you're not... You don't go into acting for, to psychoanalyse yourself. Well, of course you do, don't you? Some, a bit, yeah. A bit yeah. of you. Is, that's absolutely what it's about, as is borne out by these girls, choice of career subsequently. Yeah. And do you think, I mean, this just taking that thread a little bit further, do you think there is a psychological impact to acting? Certainly, in, I mean, in your, in your experience or people you've worked with, um, do you think it 
marks you psychologically in any way that you're aware of that process of not just of rejection but also of a rehearsal process of investigating a character of playing a character with conviction of trying to empathize with other human beings from other backgrounds different from your own yeah i don't know how much that sort of uh, your, your personality and how much it is what you do i guess the one feeds off the other but yeah yeah that sort of empathy thing you know i find a lot of people that i know seem to be terribly certain about things whereas i will always equivocate and see somebody else's point of view you know we'll see it as if it is yeah as if you are rehearsing characters you know well what would i think in that situation or could this have happened or could that have happened or is there is another way of seeing that oh it might be it might be said that he said that but what if you didn't quite hear it you know whatever questions yeah we know all the good well we know some of the good things about being an actor an actor from what you've you've discussed what um do you think is is the the best thing what made you uh, as a guy in his 40s who you know at the time you think must have been fairly close to giving up um what makes you stick with it why do you keep coming back just that ambience of working with a cross section of people all of whom are required to take their defenses down and just just sort of being with human beings with whom you're sort of sharing a very powerful story in rehearsal and then sharing it with an audience afterwards uh, so this is kind of a question i normally ask it much closer to the start but on that basis or on any basis um what's the show that stands out if there's one in memory that you think either i'm so proud of that or that was magic um i mean production rather than performance yeah it's very hard it's very hard because going back i mean i can remember shows at the birmingham studio we did um waiting for godot twice i played vladimir i played estrogen first time and vladimir the second time it packed out there were more people in the studio than there were in the main house and it was just brilliantly funny and moving i did um uh, what's the end game similarly that was just a mind-boggling experience i hadn't because you must remember i not being from a theatrical tradition not having barely having been to the theater to suddenly find yourself stuck in the middle of these great works of art and making people laugh and moving people was just such an extraordinary experience but latterly i suppose there be two productions the production of as you like it at sheffield and then came to the lyric hammersmith which was just the magic was just tangible it was tremendous and then a production of king lear with um with derek jacobi playing kent in that but again it's over and above what you're playing and what you're doing in it that sort of feeling of being part of some extraordinary event when you were uh coming out of bristol vic you obviously had expectations about how your career may have you know uh, revealed itself to you over the years looking back do you think that 23 year old would have been happy with how things have gone do you mean career wise or life wise career wise i guess the two are completely entwined aren't they your life and the career you can't really separate them so um, i don't think i had any idea <laughs> i don't think i had the first idea 
I can remember a session at drama school shortly before we left. A guy called Mike Osborne said it before I did, although the feeling was entirely mine. What, you know, what do you most want to do when you leave the old Vic school? And Mike said, um, I'd like to be in a Western. <laughs> you know, lots of people said Hamlet and all of that. And he said, I'd like to be in a Western. And, yeah, I'd still like to be in a Western. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's, it's out there now. Uh, how do you define success? I don't know. I suppose you could say making, making a, li a living. That sounds pretty lame. Not really that. It's... How do you define success? God, how do you define success? Still to, to remain hungry, to remain hungry for what you've done, what, based on what you've done, and still to want to, do, to want to do it, to still have the feeling, to have, therefore, to have achieved something to yourself, to have proved something to yourself, to have proved maybe what Nat said about how important theatre is about how important it is for the, for the community to engage in storytelling in that way, in pretending, in playing, to still be enamoured of that, to still want to do that, to still want to play. Uh, if you could go back to that 23-year-old that you were yourself and offer him some advice based on what you've learned in the uh, intervening years, what kind of things would you whisper in his ear? Oh, that's so, these questions are so hard. They, because you change, I was thinking this the other day, I said it to somebody, you change one thing, you know, do you regret? What do you, another version of it is, do you regret anything from the And yeah, I mean, there's loads of things. I should have done this, I should have done that. But overarching that is the sense that you change one thing, you change everything. Yeah. And my life as a whole, you know, Oh, this is going to sound so smug, but I wouldn't. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where I am. I'm. I feel so lucky. I feel so privileged. So lucky, and still have this desire to go on playing with different groups of people. And yeah. Have you ever been given advice by someone else, older or younger, or contemporary? Any, I mean, any kind of advice you've picked up over the years and thought, yeah, that's worth, that's worth hanging on to. Yeah, my dad said something to me when I was at drama school. He said, if you're feeling low and down for any reason, I'll always give you the money to buy yourself a steak. If you're feeling down, low, for whatever reason, go and have a, go and have a square meal. I'll pay for it. And uh, I think that's about the best bit of advice. Go and get a square meal. Go and get a square meal, because the world looks a lot better when your belly's full. Have, have you noticed many changes in the industry um, in the years that you've been working as a professional. Well, worker. you don't notice it. It's sort of incremental, isn't it? I mean, suddenly the repertory theatre system has disappeared. So it's, it's, yeah, it's changed beyond, beyond recognition. Is that the big thing that, for you anyway, from your, from your point of view as someone who's been through the rep, is that the thing that you would, you would miss most if you were starting out again today? Oh, yeah. Well... If you were starting out, you, you wouldn't miss it. About yeah, it. yeah. But yeah, I'm incredibly glad that, that yeah, that that's that's special. That's sort of um, 
but then, you know, I mean, there's different special things now, I guess. And a final bonus question. Are you in anything at the minute? No. And that's it for another episode of In Anything at the Minute, the Honest Actors podcast. That's number 10 out of the way, done and dusted. Thanks as ever to the interviewee on this occasion. It was Michael Hadley, who like all of the others up to now, has been extremely generous in terms of his honesty about his own career. So thank you, Michael. Thanks also to Equity, which is once again the venue for this week's episode. And thank you to everyone who's voted for the Honest Actors blog in the UK Blog Awards 2016. This is the last time I'm going to be able to mention the voting in the podcast itself as the next episode, uh, episode 11, will happen after voting has closed. So please, 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 if you haven't already, and even if you have, like I say, you can vote more than once, please go to the website inanything.com and click on the big blue Vote Now button. That's it from me, except to say stick around for an extract of an interview with me uh, which was done by Lewis Goody for his podcast, Acting Inspired. I think it's a really interesting project he's got going. I really recommend you take a look at it. It's on iTunes. Just search for uh, Acting Inspired or go to actinginspired.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Speak soon. Vote, vote and vote again. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.